This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. By the book on BFM 89.9. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Buy the Book. I'm Lee Chui Lin, and joining me, as always, my fellow Trafalmadorian, Sharmila Ganesan. Nice. So, uh, today, in honour of the fact that Kurt Vonnegut uh, would have turned 100 um, on November 11th, we are taking the opportunity to do a book club um, of one of, if not perhaps his most famous book, and that is Slaughterhouse-Five or The Children's Crusade, A Duty Dance with Death, uh, which was written in 1969 and is a very, very... I'm saying I'm happy to be talking about it is kind of an odd thing, uh, especially when we later explain, if you're not familiar, um, what the book's about. But I'm really, I'm really happy to be able to talk about a book that is this rich and complicated and short? Um, actually, short is so important to say because um, it can be easy to be intimidated by something that comes with a kind of reputation that Slaughterhouse-Five does. Um, and then also when you hear it talked about as one of the greatest anti-war novels of um you know, ever of all time, uh, it can feel like you're signing up for something that maybe you may not want to. It's a very short book. You can read it in four hours max. And and I actually think that that is particularly important and that it was done very deliberately by Kurt Vonnegut because the themes that the book um, sort of talks about, but also the structure of the novel, all of which I love, by the way, um, I don't think would hold up for very much longer than this. So one thing I took away from Slaughterhouse-Five is um, not just the very important big ideas that it talks about, but the genius of a writer who truly understands what he's doing with the form and the structure that he's writing. Yeah, when it's deliberate, right? Mm. Um, I, I felt a lot of pleasure in that as well because I felt like I was in safe hands. I think sometimes when you read a book that is going kind of experimental um, and being experimental in a very particular way, there is the inclination. So this is the plus point of reading a book that has, you've already been told it's good because when it opens... And there's a narrator, maybe, who then kind of opens it back to the main storyline and the main character, Billy Pilgrim, but who then recurs. And you're not sure if the narrator was a foreword or whether it is, in fact, a chapter. It's called a chapter. Um, when you dive headlong into the weirdness, it's good to know that you're in good hands because Slaughterhouse-Five does so much with the way in which it structures its story, its characters, and who is who and where is what. You're right, you know. Um, for all that it is actually structurally, and even plot-wise, a very complex, complicated thing, you're never left lost. You always know who's being talked about, uh, what is happening, which time period you're in, which is very important, which planet you're on. Um, and I think these are all uh, really important things when it comes to a story like this. Um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that it's a story that has to do with World War II. Um, and Billy Pilgrim, the, the main character, is a former prisoner of war. Yes. So actually, um, I, I'm going to go with the frame because... What it is, is about a writer who is the narrator, uh, not Kurt Vonnegut, but not not Kurt Vonnegut, <laughs> um, who has long spoken about his experiences being a prisoner of war during the, the air raids of Dresden. And 
then telling everybody that he's going to write that book and knowing that it's going to be short. So that is the frame through which we then enter the book that he then writes, which is the short book that he's talked about, um, which features Billy Pilgrim, who is not Kurt Vonnegut, but not not Kurt Vonnegut, um, who is a exactly that, uh, an accidental soldier in many ways, ill-suited for war, who finds himself in Dresden at the end, the tail end of World War II, just trying to survive, but also later on being an optometrist um, in the 60s and getting, and this is an important phrase, unstuck in time mm. and kind of constantly vacillating between being at war, being in the throes of the deepest tragedies of losing families, colleagues, people later on after the war is over, of being mentally unwell, all of that happening simultaneously in Billy Pilgrim's unstuck mind. And of being abducted by aliens. Yes, Trafalmadorians. Have I been saying this correctly? I I kept stumbling. Trafalmadorian? Well, I mean, I called you Tramalfadorian? Tralfamador is the planet. All right. Yeah. Tralfamadorian? Yes, let's go with that. Um, And and I think that all of this on paper just sounds bonkers, right? But in experience, it's not silly at all. In fact... um, you know, it's weird. I kept wondering whether Arrival um, was inspired by this. Felt because like it, yeah. It, 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 there's, a, so, there's so many similarities in terms of not just theme, but tone and philosophy, right? Um, and there's a, there's a sort of sadness and a, a melancholy at the heart of all of this. But also, uh, there's so much to say, and, and I'm trying not to also spoil the book. Um, sadness, melancholy, yes, but also an awareness or a... A putting forth of the idea that that's okay, that life has all of these things, and it's all part of life, um, and that's okay. And in such so a, it goes, and so it goes. Yes, that is in fact um, so profound. Uh, I yeah, I know. I, I keep going back to what I can say that doesn't diminish the book or kind of take away from the experience of people discovering it for themselves. So, how do you think we should talk about this? Um, I'm trying to decide whether we should attack the book. Um, by discussing the different segments on their own as standalones. In other words, um, Billy post-war, Billy during the war, Billy on Tralfamador, um, or whether there's no point trying to separate it because the book itself makes a point of not trying to separate it. Um, And the reason why I say that is because Tralfamador... As um, you referenced the rival earlier, uh, which is, of course, based on a novella by Ted Chiang, Story of Your Life... Um, so Tralfamadorians have a different concept of time. That is the central thing, right? Uh, Billy gets abducted to live in a zoo yes. <laughs> um, on the planet, basically. Um, and, and the central tenet of Tralfamadorian life and philosophy is that everything that's going to happen has already happened and that time is experienced all at once. There is no separation of that, um, which is how you can have a Billy who is simultaneously spending years of his life in a human zoo in Tralfamador, as well as violently being traveling around his own life from space to space, from a hospital on on the front to a mental institution later on in life, post war, to university, to optometry, to back to his childhood. All of that happens in chapters that are short and purposeful. 
and not necessarily even chapters right because no, they they paragraphs. basically yeah they 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 vacillate very quickly um and yeah you i don't think it's actually possible to separate them into these different phases without uh blending over too much because he doesn't separate them for us i think instead perhaps how i'm thinking about the book more and more after i finished it is to think about it in terms of the themes that it's trying to get at because there are the there's the obvious um, anti-war commentary uh, not just anti-war but the senselessness of war and um, as the subtitle of the the book alludes to the fact that these are all such young men uh, the children's crusade is repeated many times in the book I found that chilling. Mm. Um and I think a lot of that focuses on the central character of Billy Pilgrim whom we haven't spoken enough about. So we'll come back and do that, but in the meantime we are talking um this month's book club is slot I want to get the full title because I think it's important. Um Slaughterhouse 5 or The Children's Crusade A Duty Dance with Death um by Kurt Vonnegut. He would have been a hundred um, on November eleventh, so we thought it was the right time. Uh, have you read the book? Do you did you enjoy it? Um, you can WhatsApp us zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us at buythebook at bfm dot my. Brainy fancy material. BFM eighty nine point nine. Hello, everybody. You're listening to Buy the Book with Lynn and Sharmila, and today we are book clubbing Slaughterhouse Five or The Children's Crusade: A Duty Dance with Death by Kurt Vonnegut. And um, let's talk about Billy, because the as you mentioned earlier, The Children's Crusade is an important part of the title. In fact, uh, there is an entire sequence in which it's made clear that the novel wouldn't exist if the title didn't include The Children's Crusade. And the the point of that is. To make clear, the youth, not innocence, but the youth and inexperience of the boys and children who went to war. Yes, and and again, the fact that a, a novel that's this small, that's this short, manages to hammer home with. When you think about it, very few scenes of what these men are going through um, is really quite striking, right? And particularly when you get to the point where you. Figure out why the book is called Slaughterhouse Five. Um, you know, it's it's a lot. Um, I felt chills. Yes, it, it is really one of those books, and um, and I did want to say this. I'm sure we'll talk more about Vonnegut's writing style later. But the fact that he writes so matter of factly about everything, um, he is known as a satirist, and um, you know, something like Cat's Cradle, I think, is a lot more satirical. Slaughterhouse Five does have shades of it, but it's never quite funny. Um, it's dark. It's very dark. There are parts that, um, especially with Tremalfador, that can be kind of um, sharp and witty. But I think the the darkness at the heart of this um, prevents it from truly being funny. I don't think it's meant to be funny. Right? No, I don't um, think so. It's. I was so struck. Um, I was so struck by the clarity of the book, because it's a short book. And the sentences are short as well. Um, the whole book is very simple. I found myself thinking repeatedly, this should be taught in schools. I, I know it has been, but there are also, as we know, um, increasing sensitivities around the world to the kinds of books that children of, say, 12 get to read. And as I was reading Slaughterhouse, sure, there are some things that maybe you need to talk through. Maybe 12 is too young, but, but there are... There's so much value in here 
for reading this book as a younger person because it is deeply accessible. Um, and I think that the message of it and the style of it needs to be consumed or, or read at an earlier age. This is my first time reading it. And I, I wish that I'd read it younger. It's my first time reading it as well. And, and I completely agree. In fact, I, I came to Vonnegut almost entirely as an adult. And um, I do regret it. I do think that um, his writing is simultaneously very readable and accessible, but also opens up younger minds to this sort of big picture, big ideas that can be very exciting when, when it hits you at that right age. So I was thinking about the character of Roland Wary, um, and, and I mentioned earlier wanting to talk more about Billy. And I think it's because Billy is almost nothing. Billy as a character almost doesn't matter, which is a larger point to be made about war, right? And, and who goes to war and what it means when lives are lost and, and who survives. Um, because the book almost determinedly refuses to give that much agency or, or give that much detail to any of its characters. Instead, it just, um, Roland Wary, for instance, is just drawn up in a few lines as somebody who enjoys violence, who has in his mind, constructed a very specific narrative about himself and the war and who Billy is, who wants to be a hero, who wants to have friends, but who is also in many ways a villain. That's all done in the matter of, I want to say, six paragraphs. But you recognize him immediately. You do. And, mm. and the character of Roland, who does not make it and does not make it in a very terrible way, actually, stays with you through the whole book, despite the fact that you don't like him. Billy is also not meant to be liked, I think. So I was going to ask you whether you liked Billy. Uh, no, but I don't think that's the point. I like the narrator, yes. but, you know, he's hardly there. And when he shows up, you're like, why are you back? <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't decide if I like Billy or not. I think I like the way Billy's life is. I like the way um, his life is told. Um, and I, when I say I like, I don't even mean I enjoy it. I think I find it so fascinating the way he reacts, the way he accepts the reality of his life is something that I find quite interesting. And of course, there's also the question of whether any of this is real at all, right? Uh, well, and also whether the accepting of life is from PTSD. Yes. Whether there's a reason why later on when he lose, when he's um, the sole survivor of a horrific accident, why he doesn't feel anything. Um, or the death of his wife. The death of his wife. Mm. Nothing. Um, he looks at his child and he doesn't view her as his daughter. She's just there. And all of that just piles up and up and up to the point where Billy is almost just an amalgamation of horrible things that have happened. And the the embodiment of just continuing to exist. But I don't know. Um, I don't like Billy. I don't think I need to, though. No, um, I absolutely don't think you do. And I think you're absolutely right that he's, all the characters here are written to be very spare and are written to be not tropes, but to be a sort of um, cipher or, or to be a, a space within which you fill in ideas or questions, perhaps. And um, again, the mark of a really good book, because a book being small and being able to pack so much into it. Um, I did want to say, though, the one thing I genuinely, truly liked um, Um And a part of me wishes that, that, that an entire book existed that was about that civilization. Well, actually, this is something that I wanted to talk about, um, which is the structure, we've said many times, it's a very postmodern, it, it's quite meta. Um, all of it exists for a reason. It, it's, um, you know, from the very beginning that you're reading a work of fiction. I, I know that 
I know that that's the case for most novels, but in the case of um, Slaughterhouse, it's almost like there is a determination to create another layer, right? For you to be fully aware that this is not real, but is it? Uh, And so because the meta-ness is there for a very specific reason, I found myself wondering, aside from the ability to introduce... um, Last week, we spoke about uh, Margaret Atwood's speculative fiction ideas. Um, aside from the desire to introduce that, whether the the aliens and the spaceships and the abduction and the planet um, is a generic way to invite in readers who might otherwise um, not, be, not be pulled in by the promise of a book about war. Oh, I never thought of that um, because I, I just take it as a given. He's always talked about as a science fiction yes, writer, yes. right? Um, but I was also wondering, to your point about how um, it's so clearly styled as a created work, um, that these elements are also there to put in stark contrast the things we know are real, like Dresden, um, like World War II. Uh, because in contrast then, you're suddenly reminded that Kurt Vonnegut himself was a prisoner of war, that the narrator that's not not him um, could very well, very well have been him. And that, well, to be specific, he was a prisoner of war who survived the bombing of Dresden in a meat locker, mm-hmm. which is what happens to Billy Pilgrim. And so th- there is absolutely that, that echoing. Um, I, I know I've already said chills, but reading about Dresden... Not just Dresden during and after the bombing, but Dresden before, when they first enter it and see it. And you know that the people that he sees going to work, the people that are receiving these refugees, basically, are not going to live through the night. It is, it's something else. I mean, I, I'm a pacifist to begin with, but if I weren't, I think reading Slaughterhouse-Five would just... I, I don't know how anybody reads this book and emerges thinking that war is, is a good tool or glorifies victory as being worth this sort of sacrifice or glorifies individual victory Mm. because that that's also the other point right the children's crusade billy pilgrim as an absolute nothing burger who's not even a soldier actually he's he's like a chaplain's assistant um it's why he doesn't have anything when he joins the war um yeah so i think it it goes quite some way to downplay War, yes, as an institution, uh, but also there's nothing here for individuals. There's nothing here for for boys. Um, No, uh, I agree. I wanted to ask you whether you would, I mean, I I feel like I know the answer. Um, Not just would you recommend this to people, but would you prep them for what they're going to get? No, Mm. I don't think so. Um, I, I don't think it requires any great introduction. I think you can take from it what you bring to it like with any book, um, but in this case, because it's spare and because it, it has so so many elements in it, I feel like you can absolutely take away whatever message, although his message is very, very clear. You know, you can take any message that you want from it. Like I said earlier, I would recommend it and I would recommend it to younger readers. I would recommend it for sure. I don't think, um, you know, if, if this didn't come through in, in our discussion, it's not the kind of book that's going to leave you traumatized, but it is the kind of book that you've used the word chills a lot. It's the kind of book that sits with you and, and gets you thinking about things. I thought about it for a long time mm. after. I read it a few weeks ago and I kept thinking about it since. So yeah, um, we've been talking today about Slaughterhouse-Five or... 
The Children's Crusade, A Duty Dance with Death. Um, it was published in 1969 by Kurt Vonnegut, who would have been 100 on November 11th. Uh, so we wanted to pay tribute in our own little way. Let us know, have you read Slaughterhouse-Five? Um, do you plan to? Did we sell it? Uh, you can WhatsApp us, 18 789 Tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. us to footnotes. So we used the word great earlier and how um, when you approach a book or a writer that everybody tells you is just one of the, the in caps, <laughs> uh, one of the greats, there is a certain sense of intimidation. And that's definitely the case with Kurt Vonnegut. Um, is this something you still feel? So not so much perhaps with Slaughterhouse-Five, because um, it's not my first Vonnegut novel. Um, I have actually only read two things by him. The other is Cat's Cradle. I certainly felt it with Cat's Cradle. Um, it might also have to do with the fact that my sister loves his novels and she kept telling me I have to read him, I have to read him. And so a part of me was like, oh, if I don't like his work, is our relationship going to be <laughs> unalterably changed? Like what is going to happen now? I did love Cat's Cradle. Um, it's a lot easier to read than, uh, not easy to read. It's a lot, um, it's a lot lighter than Slaughterhouse-Five, I think. Um, I will say, though, that I was excited to read Slaughterhouse-Five because I think I already knew I enjoyed his style. Um, but this is one of the greats. Like, it's the Vonnegut book to read. I, We've talked about this before. Um, you spoke about reading Moby Dick. Or not reading Moby Dick. Or not Moby reading Dick Moby Dick, as, as it were, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, so you've got, what is it? Moby Dick. War and Peace. Great expectations. Um, yes. You know, th these are the books that often, like if I had to put it on one hand, right, these are the ones that would have, I think, likely come up as if you think yourself a reader, you know, you, you ought to read these books. And I feel as if sometimes, depending on who you are and what kind of reader you are, that ends up severely, mm, severely under playing the kind of enjoyment you could have gotten from reading the book if it came with that sense of discovery. Now, what I mean by that is, I, I think it's unfortunate when people approach books with a sense of duty. I don't think they should feel like homework. And sometimes the greats inevitably do. Yes, I, I felt that way about um, Kafka, for instance. Um, while I loved um, his short stories, the novel certainly took me a while because there is that thing that, oh my God, like you're reading Kafka. You have to feel ennui. Otherwise, are you even doing this right? <laughs> um, and, and I think the, the best thing about Kurt Vonnegut, in fact, is that because his writing is so accessible, because the books are so short, most of them anyway, um, you're spared the kind of commitment that you have to make to something like Moby Dick or Ulysses, where you're not looking at a doorstop of a book and thinking, well, what if I buy this? When do I find the time? And then what if I hate it? Will, mm. will, will my literary friends all now think I'm not worthy of their company? Um, and also, I think that Slaughterhouse-Five, again, because of that slightly unfair um, veneer that something like science fiction or speculative fiction have... Um, isn't necessarily th spoken of in the exalted tones of like a war and peace. It's also more recent. Mm. Uh, it, you know, I think it, it, it's not been a hundred years since its publication. And therefore, although its proximity to the war also then gives it that kind of 
not sheen, but it also gives it that extra layer of, of meaning, right, and context. But yeah, uh, I think length is definitely one thing, although I was thinking also about The Great Gatsby which is not a long book um, and is also a book in which a lot of things happen. It's not particularly ponderous, but I read it because I thought I should. And mm. I kind of wish that I could. It's a great book before. Sorry, I, I, my shoulders <laughs> went up because I felt all these F. Scott Fitzgerald scholars like coming from my throat. Um, it's a great book. Fitzgerald is great. But um, I, I really wish that I'd read it. I read it without thinking that I had to. I think that it would have um, made my enjoyment of it different. It's funny, right? Because once you know the greats, you can't unknow them. And so then you're never going to have, you're never going to go into it blind. And and that's sometimes something I wish. So I spoke to a friend uh, a couple of days ago saying that I was reading this book and he'd never heard of Kurt Vonnegut. And I thought to myself, well... Maybe I won't tell you anything about him. Maybe I'll just tell you that you should read this book. And I found this idea so exciting because I can never have that experience. Like I said, um, would 100% recommend, wouldn't tell people anything about it. So yeah, uh, we have on this side of things been talking about the experience of reading a book or an author that you have been told is very great, the one, must read, and whether that affects the way you Read well, well, whether that affects the level of enjoyment that you get from the book. Let us know. That number uh, to WhatsApp is 018-789-8899. Do you ever feel intimidated by books and authors that you've been told are fantastic or must-reads? Um, you can also, of course, tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.